0: Welcome to episode 97 of the FarmExec podcast. I'm Elaine Quilici, senior editor of FarmExec magazine, here along with my co-host, assistant editor Miranda Schmalfus. FarmExec magazine is a multimedia publishing brand that brings you the latest commercial insights for the C-suite. On this week's episode, Miranda and I have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Ward, global head of thought leadership for healthcare and life sciences at Clarivate. Mike's here to talk about the data provided to FarmExec for our annual pipeline report. Let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Mike.
1: What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At TrueSherom Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience-fed creative and more powerful content in less time. Truth Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at NTWK.com.
0: Hello, podcasters. Today, Miranda and I will be interviewing Mike Ward, Global Head of Thought Leadership in the Decision Resources Group at Clarivate. Mike is here to discuss PharmExec's 2022 Pipeline Report, which appears in our December issue. The data for the report was provided by Clarivate, and Mike is ready to take us behind the numbers and provide some interesting insights. Thanks for joining us today, Mike.
2: Yeah, pleased to be here.
0: What therapeutic areas have emerged as having the most impact on today's pipelines?
2: It won't be a big surprise to the listeners, but immuno-oncology is still the big beast when it comes to drug pipelines. It accounts for a huge proportion of R&D activity within sort of the pharmaceutical industry. After that, in the past 20 months or so, what we've actually seen, we've seen a sort of clear interest in infectious diseases, most notably COVID-19. So we saw a lot of companies pivot towards trying to find either, to, you know, develop vaccines or find potential therapeutic interventions to combat the virus. And then another area which has come to the fore and actually, again, accounts for quite a large portion of the clinical pipeline is the, the cell and gene therapy space. So we're seeing a lot of efforts by companies to develop cell and gene therapies.
0: So what bearing did COVID have on pipelines within the last year?
2: Well, it, certainly in the early days, it had a sort of a dramatic impact because with lockdowns, social distancing, etc., it was difficult for companies and laboratories to work as normal. So therefore, they had to redesign their operations and the procedures We saw people sort of almost like, you know, shifting to having shifts where half the workforce would come in one time and then at the other time, the other half would come in. We also saw disruption in the conduct of clinical trials, particularly those where there was a need for the patients to go somewhere and have an intervention, so that was an impact. So we saw some sort of slowing in some areas. However, what we also saw was how a lot of companies completely restructured their activities to focus on COVID-19, either as a new opportunity, or actually sometimes looking at molecules that they were already developing, that they believed might have an impact on COVID-19.
0: What changes have you seen over the past few years? And are there any distinct trends you see moving into the
2: future? One of the interesting things from COVID-19 was how pharmaceutical companies interacted with the regulators. So the regulators, because of the need to get medicines, get vaccines into the population as quickly as possible, were taking a sort of a fairly pragmatic approach to the oversight of the sort of the medicines and, and the therapeutics, but what we also saw was we saw you know companies starting to organise themselves in parallel rather than in doing things in series again just to sort of get the the speed for the sort of the vaccine development et cetera. So what we saw was instead of it taking years to develop a new vaccine, we actually saw within the sort of space of 10 months from the original identification of the target to actually being able to produce vaccines and and getting them into people was less than a year, which was previously unprecedented. I know that pharmaceutical companies are now looking to see what lessons can they learn from that process to speed up productivity of their R&D activity in a post-pandemic world. So you know, that's one of the things others we've seen though is that we've seen that for example with things like you know mRNA all of a sudden you know, people have kind of recognized that there is a sort of a validity a proof of concept that this is in fact a therapeutic modality that might have a lot of potential not just in tackling covid-19 but actually we're seeing the original developers of the, the mRNA technology going back to where they were originally focused on, which again was in the oncology space. So we'll see, people like Moderna and BioNTech, you know, sort of going and and putting some, you know, firepower back into the development of those. Cell and gene therapy, as I've mentioned, we've sort of seen there's been a big uptick in activity in, in that place, again, because we've actually sort of seen some successes in this space. But there's still a lot of challenges out there. And also neuroscience, which has been a very, very challenging area for pharmaceutical companies to develop new medicines, you know, particularly in the, the, the psychiatric disorders, but also neurodegenerative disorders. But in those areas, there's an anticipation that the advances that we saw in immuno-oncology in the past 10 years we might see a similar acceleration of understanding and the development of new medicines tackling neurological diseases in, 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 in the coming decades. So, so that's something that we're seeing. And a lot of this is based on the sort of the delivery of the human genome and sort of you know, an understanding of what we've actually seen there.
0: So how do you see drugs going off patent, such as Humira and Genuvia, affecting competition and access?
2: So they haven't gone off patent yet, so it's always difficult to say. But you know what, what one normally sees when a best-in-class molecule goes off patent, it has you know, profound impacts across the board. And this is partly down to the contract that the originator companies had in the first place with society they get that patent it gives them exclusivity for a certain amount of time when that exclusivity disappears it's then possible for others to then reproduce that molecule and therefore it means that there's a lot of competition because there are lots more people who are going to be able to produce that So therefore, what we've seen in the past, when molecules go off patent, we actually then sort of see a decrease in pricing. We also see, however, an increase in uptake. So for example, in Europe, we've seen a lot of the sort of the blockbuster biologics go off patent, and therefore we've seen the, the entry of biosimilars. You know, what I was saying would happen is you saw a decrease in the revenues for the original biologics. But what we also see is an increase in the number of people that are actually able to be given biosimilars. Now, I think that in the sort of the biosimilar situations for Humira, the challenge is that they are just similar, they're not identical. So, therefore, I think that what we'll see when it comes to access is that new patients are likely to be prescribed biosimilars. The question of whether we'll see a lot of substitution where people who are already on, say, for example, Humira, whether they will then be switched over to biosimilars, there's a big question around that because I think the clinicians who will be looking after those patients will probably be wary of switching a patient where clearly a molecule works to one that it's similar, not necessarily identical. That's the situation that I would expect to see with the biosimilars. Humira has gone off patent in Europe, and we have seen erosion of Humira sales in Europe. On the other hand, we've seen the Adalimumab biosimilars. We've seen uptake there. So one would expect something similar in the US. When it comes to small molecule drugs, when they go off pattern, because the generic is identical to the original molecule, very quickly you see a switch from the original molecule to the generic. And in fact, you know, sort of uh, your payers and insurance companies and national health systems actually encourage this. In Europe, 85% of all drugs that are actually given to patients are generic in nature. So there you see a very, very rapid drop-off in the sales of the original molecule, but you see uptick elsewhere. There's also potential collateral damage for others that might be in the same drug class. So if you have a first-in-class drug, that is going off patent. Other patients might be on drugs that are not necessarily first in class, and it might be for for reasons of cost, et cetera. But when the first in class goes off patent and generics arrive, there's, you see, again, a sort of a switch where patients will be moved from those second or third most important drug in that class, also switching to the generic version of what was the original first-in-class molecule.
0: So what are the greatest pipeline challenges companies face today?
2: The greatest pipeline challenges, they haven't really changed very much. So they're the ones that are fairly standard. And that is, you know, that translational step. So, you know, having seen interesting signals in preclinical research in the animal models, etc., translating that into something that is clinically meaningful. So that's a huge, huge challenge. Attrition rates for R&D have not improved in past decades. It's still molecules that get into, first into man. There's still a huge attrition. So, you know, most never actually make it into patients. So that's one challenge that needs to be resolved. Other challenges are around you know, what your payers and insurance companies, national health services, etc, you know, what the health technology agencies, whether they actually see something as cost effective. So these days pharmaceutical companies have to have something that is going to be meaningfully differentiated from what goes before. It can't be just a me too so 20 years ago, you would have seen companies developing me-too molecules. Now they have to be much more innovative in the way they're thinking. And then, of course, the other challenges that the pharmaceutical companies have got, and, and again, this was something that was exposed by the COVID-19 pandemic, is the access to the active ingredients, the, the raw materials, to actually make those drugs in the first place. So a lot of them were sourced from mainland China, and from India. And what we saw was that when there were restrictions on movement, etc., again, it was very, very difficult. We saw the supply chains being disrupted. And pharmaceutical companies are therefore having to rethink what those supply chains should look like and how they're going to build resilience into those supply chains.
0: Mike, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing some context about the pipeline. It's been really interesting learning about the stories behind the numbers.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: What if you had limitless access to customer insights, accelerated timelines, and set fees? At True Serum Network, we're fueled by connections in virtually every area of healthcare as part of MJH Life Sciences. The result? Audience fed creative and more powerful content in less time. True Serum Network, releasing what's real. Find out more at True Serum And now it's time for this
0: week's leadership tips from pharma execs.
2: Hello, my name is Mike Ward. I'm the Global Head of Thought Leadership for Life Sciences and Healthcare at Clarivate. My leadership tip is something that it sounds fairly simple, but actually is profound if you get it right. And that is never over-promise, but always make sure you deliver more than expected. And this is essentially that one has to be you're realistic, with what you're actually planning to deliver. It helps manage the expectations of everyone. So everybody knows what is happening, what is expected. And actually, if you've given yourself that stretch target of actually over-delivering on that promise, what you're gonna end up doing is delighting your customers. And if you delight your customers, then what will happen is You'll either get repeat business or you might see increased business.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's Farm Exec podcast. We are always pleased to take you behind the headlines, provide expert tips from industry leaders, and give you an inside look at what the Farm Exec staff is working on. Remember, you can always find us on the web at farmexec.com, on Twitter at farmexec, on Instagram at farmexecutive and on YouTube. The views expressed on this podcast do not reflect the views of FarmExec, its parent company, or our advertisers. For editorial questions, please email editorial director Lisa Henderson at lhenderson at mjhlifesciences.com. And for sponsorship opportunities, please email group publisher Todd Baker at tbaker at mjhlifesciences.com.